All right, so we've been, we've been going through uh, Ephesians 4 and what we have seen uh, over and over and time and time again that our identity now is in Christ and that's how this has the gospel has been preached to us through uh, Ephesians. I hope and pray that this is becoming more and more of the reality of your soul, the reality of your everyday life and how it has been uh, worked out in the everyday. And so if our, what we've been seeing is that if, if Christ is our new identity, then we have been made new. And if we have been made new, then our lives, our lifestyles, the walk by which we walk is also new. It starts to no longer resemble the old self and more like the new self, which is Christ. So we're growing up, we're maturing, right, as we read this morning, to, to mature manhood, growing up together in all things in Christ and the knowledge of Christ and the love for one another. We're growing up together and what we have seen even earlier in chapter 4 is that all of that, our maturity, our love, is all to produce unity in the body of Christ as we grow up together as members of one another. Everybody see? We grow up as members of one another. So if we, let's look to Ephesians chapter 4. If everybody has those written down, let's look to Ephesians 4. And, and Kenny has already read it for us, but good, we're just going to read these three passages, the passage from last week and our passages that we're going to unpack this morning together. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 26, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity for the devil. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the joy the joy to gather once again as your church, as your people. We thank you for the grace of making us a, a family, a, a new family, of a new household, building us up into a new temple, bringing us all into a body so that we may love, so that we may serve, so that we may teach, encourage, we may build one another up, even correct one another when necessary. We pray that as we hear the preaching of Your Word, that You would approach this time, that we would approach this time with humble hearts, submitting to the authority of Your Word, that we become more conformed to Your Word, that we become more like Christ, taking on our new identity even more. May the Holy Spirit do His work of sanctifying us, showing us our sin, pointing us to Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I'm taking a risk in saying this next quote because truthfully, I, I really don't know much about this guy. I know a few things about this guy. Um, but I do know that he is a, a very famous, or was, he's passed away now, but a very famous uh, 
uh, person in the United States, particularly in the early uh, 20th century. His name was Will Rogers. And so maybe more of Bill in this section may understand who, who Will Rogers is. And uh, I, I learned things about him from like Pawn Stars and stuff like that. Um, but Will Rogers was an American icon. And, and he's an icon that has actually transcended uh, many of the uh, generations. And so he's quoted often. He was, he was, um, he was not like a one-hit wonder. I mean, he could do anything. He was a comedian. Uh, he was a writer. Uh, he was a performer. He was an actor. I mean, how many people in our world have that kind of talent and, and kind of talent that, that still uh, resounds today? He was known as the American cowboy, the American cowboy. And, and he said this, and it helps us. I, I think it sets us up and starting to as we look at our passage this morning. He says this. He says, people who fly into a rage... This is, a, this is definitely a Will Rogers thing. People who fly into a rage make a bad landing. People who fly in a rage make a bad landing. Now, humorous, but isn't that true? Sadly, isn't it true for us? Because what it tells us, it reveals to us the, the result of our sinful anger. And if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, and to be able to recognize when we see ourselves flying in a rage, we often make a crash landing all around us that not only inflicts wounds upon ourselves, but also the collateral damage as well as the kamikaze intentional damage to those we intend to hurt with our anger and with our rage. And anger is one of those things I, I, don't, I don't think we're not... We're not uh, uh, used to, that we don't know. And I think even, even passive savanna, quiet savanna, there's a, there's a raging savanna in even in her own heart, right? That of which we do not see. And she doesn't even post it on Facebook. Everything's happy. But I bet there's times. Sorry, savanna, this is not in my notes. I just saw you and it was just like, and I saw you on the big screen so last night, so I just put it out there. But anger's all around. Like we, we feel it. We understand it almost every single day. It's, a, it's an almost impossible to, to ignore or not have because, because almost every day in this sinful world, disappointment, frustration, inconveniences, rejection, and hurt is all around us and it affects us. We know it all too well. Even in my own household. And that's all I'm going to say. And looking into our passage this morning, I want us to do a couple of different things. I want us to unpack anger. Two categories of anger. One, righteous anger. Two, sinful anger. And as we unpack those two, we're then going to come back to the end and we're going to see how the Gospel gives us a prescription of how to put off anger. Of how to put off anger. How it exposes the root of anger. Now, so just like I said, the very first one. Anger is not always sinful. Anger is not always sinful, right? So look, look at the verse again. Look at verse 26. It says, be angry. Like, here's the Bible telling you all to be upset. Be mad. Get angry. Be angry. 
to be angry. Of course, there's the caveat, but do not sin. But do not sin. So this passage here, though, is permitting anger, but just not to sin with our anger. It's the kind of anger that doesn't lead to sin. It's called a righteous anger. A righteous anger. And so I thought about this for a while. What is righteous anger? Because it seems like righteous anger is something that is so close, but then more and more I think about it, it's more like 10 million miles away. Because I want all my anger to be righteous. I want all my anger to be justified. So what is the kind of anger that is being said to be angry? Well, let's look to the Bible. I'll have you all flip somewhere in just a minute, but I'm just going to tell you the first story comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. A story we're hopefully we're kind of familiar with. Well, here's, here, here's how it went down. So here's little David, right? Little David, and little David is at home tending the sheep for his family. All of his brothers are off to war, right? They are on the front lines. And little David's dad, whose name was... Jesse, very good, Jesse, said, David, your brothers are probably hungry. Go bring them some cheese and bring them some bread and, and some wine, right? Get them some cheese with that wine, as we say. And so David packed up and David walked, <laughs> David walked himself over to where the battle was taking place and he found a stalemate. He found Israel in their trenches, and he found the Palestinians in their trenches. And yet, except for one giant of a man named Goliath would come out. Now, when I think of Goliath, I think of someone like Shaquille O'Neal. Right? I know I probably make some people feel short, but there are people that I have met that make me feel short. And, and that's rare, so it's actually more scary to me than some of y'all shorter people. Right? And I'm more scared of taller people than me than you probably are of taller people because you're just used to it. Okay? So, so if that, hopefully that's a, if that's a comforting thing. So, so I'm thinking of someone like Shaquille O'Neal, probably bigger. I mean, these, these people were big. He was from a line of giants, right? Giants of Hmong, uh, of Hmong men. And he was a pagan. And this pagan would stand up before the, the Palestinian army and before the Israeli army, and he would say uh, defiling things about the army. He would dishonor them, not just calling them chickens and fighting words, but disgusting things. And in the midst of that, he was also dishonoring and defiling God himself. He was not an innocent man. And David walks up to this scene with his cheese and wine to give to his brothers. And he sees this situation. He even asks his brothers, bro, what's going on? And they told him to shut up. They say, you, you're too young to understand. You don't know. And he's like, why is no one standing up for this? Shut up, little bro. And, and, and so David, David gets mad. David gets angry because he hears what Goliath is saying about his God and what he's saying about the army of the living God. And so David says, I'm going to take care of this. And so you all know the rest of the story. David got angry, and Goliath got killed. He stood up before Goliath with just a sling and a stone, five stones, and he slew him with only one. He killed him with just one. David slew 
Goliath. He was angry. Let's look at the example too. This time I want you to turn there. Go to Mark chapter 3. And I know we're skipping quite a distance, and I only just want to share a couple of them. Mark chapter 3, here's Jesus. He is entering into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, right? This is kind of like the, uh, the, the template, right, of how these stories go down, right? Is Jesus going into the temple, as good Jews do, they go to the, or they go to the synagogue on, on the Sabbath, and there he encountered a man with a withered hand, and he healed that man on the Sabbath, right? So there's the, the idea of the story. Now, let's kind of go back just a little bit. You can look if you want, but I'm just going to tell it to you. Back in chapter 2, Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees on his way to the synagogue. Because as they were walking to the synagogue, Jesus' disciples were picking off grain from the fields. Picking grain up, picking it off, and I don't know if they were eating it raw. I I don't know. I've never done that before, but they were doing it. And and as they were walking, the, the, the Pharisees looked at Jesus, and they said, Jesus, how is it you are allowing your disciples to break the law on the Sabbath? And Jesus, like Jesus does, schools them first in the Old Testament, talks about our young friend David, and then he says this in verses 27, 28, you can look on that in chapter 2, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here it is. It's set. Jesus just laid it out. I'm not going to play your game. My bros were hungry. We were on the way to the, the Sabbath was made for us. And I am the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> and so here they are. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. He says, And he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And Jesus said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. Grieved at the hardness of the heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus got angry. And Jesus was was grieved. Story number two. Now we're going to go to the one that I think you all mostly are thinking about. Uh, We won't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus got angry again. Son of God. Getting angry. Jesus turns over the the money tables in the temple. In Matthew chapter 21, after the the triumphal entry, right? I mean, the, the whole city is saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Here comes the the son of David. We welcome you to be our king, to be our conqueror. And just minutes later, Jesus walks into the temple and he sees such debauchery. He sees such sinfulness that is taking place, such 
open rebellion taking place in his father's house. So let's, let's get this straight, that this isn't just like a rummage sale at a church. I've heard this equated, right? Now, we don't do rummage sales at churches because it's, it's like the buying and selling of goods and Jesus will come in and flip our church upside down, right? And he'll turn over the offering plates and, and all that stuff. Or, or if we have a bake sale, and I've heard that before. If we have bake sales, so it's not a rummage sale or it was a bake sale. Uh, it, was, it was the buying and selling of animals that were being used as the sacrifice of God. As if we can take our sins to God so cheaply you could buy an animal right there without even thinking of it with no remorse. That's why the Son of God was so angry. He was so angry. And he drove them out of his father's house, flipping over tables. Don't flip over any tables, please. We take these three examples, and we see a common thread that, is, that flows through. That there is a righteous anger, and it's an anger that does not lead to sin. David was angry that, that the Lord's army would not stand up to this pagan idolatry. He was also angry that, no, that, that he, they would allow him to say these certain things. Those who would dishonor God. Dishonor the, the holiness of God. So he stood and he, to honor and protect the holiness of God. Mark chapter 3, Jesus was, was angry at the hardness of the heart of, of man. Hardness of the heart of the Pharisees. He was seeing the, the extent, the effects of the fall that these men could stand and see this guy with a withered hand and not even see humanity. Not even see it. Totally miss it. All to get Jesus in trouble. Not even praise God for the miracle of the healing. And Jesus was angry at sin. Because that's what it was doing. It was hardening and callousing the heart of man so much. And the same thing I already told you why he was so angry in Matthew chapter 21. Such a cheapening of grace. Such a cheapening of mercy. Jesus was angry. You see, righteous anger is an anger, is an anger that is conceived out of a love for God and a love for others. A love for God and a love for others. So that when we see injustice, when we see immorality, when we see ungodliness, we instantly think there's this anger that comes up into our hearts because we know it's an attack, an affront to the holiness of God. So how do we do righteous anger? Be angry at sin. Be angry at injustices in this world. Be angry at abortion. Be angry at human trafficking and sex slavery. Be angry at injustice. Be angry at the evil systems in this world. Because it's enslavement. It's deception. It's callousness. It's hardness of heart. It's, it's blindness that causes us to live in such a way that we can't see humanity or we can't see the holiness of God. But be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not sin. Righteous anger 
should always lead us to a righteous response. A righteous response of as the church who has experienced such grace and such mercy is grace and mercy and love and truth. So we don't blow up abortion clinics. We pray. We pray for those wicked men and women who participate, who perform such action. We pray for those women who are caught in such blindness. We don't get angry at them. We don't shout and throw things at them. We preach the gospel to them. There's hope. But there's a second anger that is so much more familiar to us, and that is that anger can be sinful. So just with that caveat there, be angry but do not sin, shows us that there is an anger that is sinful. One that I know is more familiar to us. Sinful anger expresses itself in this way. It says, I am not happy. It says, I am, I am not happy with what's going on right now. It says, I am not getting my way, so I'm going to make it known. You jerk. So if things aren't going my way, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get angry, and I'm going to throw lightning bolts as if I was Zeus himself. This is the condition of the human heart. And when we do not get what we want, we get angry. Anger expresses itself in rage. Right? Sometimes we call that rage telling it like it is. Yelling, screaming, throwing things, hitting things, etc. Sometimes it's in self-pity. I'm an expert at this one. Pity parties. Ignoring that person, putting them in the doghouse, right? Feeling sorry for yourself. Or maybe it's through passive aggressiveness. It's something like rage, but we just kind of come at it at a different angle. We don't tell it like it is. We tell it like it is from a different side. To put the person in the doghouse or to feel, to feel bad. To put them down. And sinful anger can be, can be so, de- so deceptible because it feels so justifiable. Because we've been hurt. We've not gotten our way. So it feels so, so justifiable and, and that anger towards someone is going to justify. It's going to feel better. It's going to make me feel better. It's going to be what tastes good. Anger tastes good. When we give in to anger, it tastes good. It's like eating a Twinkie. Maybe you don't like Twinkies. Just like, no, man, terrible example. Or a little Debbie snack or something, right? It tastes good. Everybody under, can we relate with that one better? James still says no. Okay. Uh, right? It's like, it's like eating something that, that, that tastes good, but in the end, all it does, it leaves our stomach sour. 
It never satisfies. It never really fixes things. It may cover it up. It may heap some dirt on top of the problem, but it never addresses the issue. All it does is it leaves a bitter aftertaste. Collateral, intentional damage, right? Rage does what? It flies, and then it crashes and burns. I changed this quote. I'm sorry. Because sinful anger is about being self-defensive. It's about being self-serving and having full resentment. It's putting yourself and your feelings and your needs and your wants over others. It's a definition of pride. Yeah, she's outside. Sinful anger is so dangerous. It's so dangerous if we're not putting it to death. It's like a, it's like a wildfire. I know the Bible, and, and James says that the tongue is like a wildfire, but, but how do we express our anger? It's with the tongue. It's a, it's a wildfire. Without, un, uh, without being checked, even righteous anger can destroy and have unintended consequences if not dealt with properly, if not handled biblically. biblically. Our passage even tells us, it exhorts us, right, as it goes on. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why is that? Right, that's not just for married couples who, who decide in pride to sit in their bed all night long because not one of them is willing to, con- to say, I'm sorry. Right, that, certainly we need to apply that to, to marriages, but there's just a, it's a time frame. It's about, a, it's about a time frame saying that if anger is left unchecked and you give it more time than it should, then it will destroy. It's like leaving the campfire out in the woods. Smokey the Bear says what? Don't do it. I learned that this year from Lottie. I got some funny examples in here. It's like a banana that you leave on the counter too long. may look good, taste good at one time. Or it's like a bucket of clean water. Leave it out in the sun for a couple of days and see what color it looks like when you come back and what's floating in it and what's hatching in it. That's what anger is. It can take the clearest and cleanest of water, the prettiest of bananas, and make it rotten. And make it rotten. So unconfessed, undealt with, unreconciled anger gives bitterness to, to even the fertilest of soil. It takes root. It takes root. And if you don't deal with your anger and you just swallow your anger, like just kind of hold it back, you, what's going to happen? It's like the banana. It's going to spoil. It's going to turn black. And then there's going to be bugs. And you're going to have to get a bat to kill them all. The rotten of the rottenness of the water, the stagnity of the water. And you will hurt even those you didn't even intend to hurt. We've seen it in our homes, right? We've seen sinful anger even at work. And Lord forbid we've even seen it in church. It destroys. It hurts. I don't have to convince you of this. You, you know. Some of you have personal experience of this. It hurts. It breaks trust. So no matter how we, we may describe it or how man, we may justify it, right? We may just call it, well, I'm just short-tempered or, or I'm just grumpy today or I'm just, I'm just tired or I'm just a curmudgeon. Or maybe, maybe we want to go a little bit deeper and say, I've had a really rough childhood. 
My father was abusive. And I express that in my anger. All of those things absolutely are, are hard to deal with and they're difficult. But you know what? They're not excuses to sin. That's why we have the Gospel. And we have the Gospel to apply to our, to our hearts. And we don't hide from it. We don't, we don't run from it because we, we confess it. We bring it to our brothers and sisters. And as it says, we give no opportunity to the devil. Because as it sits, it's not just the time for it to marinate, but that gives opportunity for the evil one. It gives opportunity for the evil one to get in there and fertilize and water. We all have anger. Men and women, children. I want to address men for a second. Man, I think we're, we're a little bit more prone to have a disposition or a posture toward anger. And our anger can be expressed in a very loud and abusive way. Anger and domination is not biblical masculinity. It's not representative of the changed life. Brothers, I say this as one of you, that it is sinful. And men, we need particularly to put on the gospel here. To put on Christ here. To mortify the flesh and put on Christ. Because I know, as well as many of you, how harsh we can speak and treat our children and our wives. So we must deal with our anger. And to deal with our anger, we must apply the Gospel. And what the Gospel is going to do is that it will expose the roots of our anger. It will expose the roots of our anger. So, so, if you're, so if you're looking for me to give you some kind of like, meditation, count to three and close your eyes and think of rainbows and le- leprechauns and maybe you fishing out in the water or sitting in your deer stead, right? I'm not going to give you that. Because in God's grace, He's given us something better. It's the Bible. And the Bible exposes our sins. To put them off. So that we don't coddle them, so we don't indulge them or enjoy them anymore. So that we can be angry, but do not sin. And this is where the Bible searches our hearts. As Hebrews says, that it cuts from the bone to the marrow. It separates I pray that it will separate this morning. It might hurt, and it does. It does. And one of the most devastating diagnoses of sinful anger comes from James chapter 4. You can turn there if you want. It'll be on the screen, but you can turn there. In James chapter 4, he is addressing conflict and anger and fussing, and fighting, and arguing, and all types of argument, right? It didn't even, it didn't matter. Like, he didn't, he didn't address the he said, she said kind of stuff. He's addressing the root issue, the root cause. And in verse 1, he says this, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Right? Kind of like how I go up to my kids and I say, Why are you fighting? I'm looking for an answer. James is not. He knows. And I know the answer too. He says, Is 
It is this. It is this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So do you see how anger is exposed here? The Bible's so good at this. The Bible's so good at it. If you're if you're oh your heart's open up, your eyes are open up, your ears are open up, the Holy Spirit has granted that, then it's being exposed right now. It's like cutting bread right now into into our hearts, peeling back the layers, peeling back the the surface. The surface is only what we want to deal with, right? We We only want to deal with what's bothering us on the outside and address the inside is what's going to really hurt. But that's what we need the most because that's what the gospel addresses the most is right here. And he doesn't let us just address those outside issues. He addresses the heart. But what are those passions? What are we at war for? What do we want? Look at verse 11. He says, Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, I doubt he wrote it like that, but there is a comma there. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are a doer of the law, but not a judge or but a judge, I'm sorry. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Do you know what he means by judge here? He means to condemn. All right, so, so let's not take the meaning here exactly the way that 1 Corinthians 5 would put it. It's not talking about real gospel, reconciliation kind of judgment and discernment. He's talking about condemnation. My judgment is you are guilty before I even ask you the question. And isn't that what anger is? You're the lawgiver and the judge, and you're, you're going to smash them no matter what. I'm going to crush them to pieces because this is what I feel. I'm not mad at you. I'm just acting it out. And actually, i got a really good illustration. This is my Bible, and I need a big Bible. I need your Bible. Can I see your Bible? I'm not going to hurt it. I'm not going to rip pages out like Michael Scott or anything like that. All right, so here's, here's two, two big books here, right? We would call them Bibles. And I got this illustration from, from David Pallison. And David Pallison is a Christian counselor and great ministry. Anyways, so here's two, two books, right? And pretend these are, these are two people, right? And we take these books and we'll pass them together. Conflict! Conflict. You hear it? Did you hear it? That's conflict. And, and this, this one is angry at this book, and this book is angry at this book. And I asked this book right here, why are you mad at that book? It's their fault. That book did this or did that. And I said, well, why are you angry at this one? It's his fault. They did it. I'm angry because of them. You can hang your book back now. It's just because I don't want to hold two anymore. And pretend I still have the two. And what God says and what God does and what the gospel does is it opens you up like a book. And it says, you know why you're angry? You're angry because of yourself. You're angry because of yourself. You. 
in you. The passions at war within you. And so you get angry. You conflict. Conflict. It feels right. Even the book would say it's right. It feels justified because that book hurt me or said something to me. But the Bible exposes it, doesn't it? Exposes our hearts and says that it is because of the passions that are at war within you. And that's why he says in verse 12, but who are you to judge your brother? Because all sinful anger, the two books that were at war with one another, were all wanting to exact judgment over one another. As if they were the judge. Did you see that? That it was a capital J and a capital L as judge and lawgiver. Who is the capital J judge and capital L lawgiver? God. And in our anger and in our self-defense and in our uh, that selfishness, that resentment, that anger, whatever, however it's expressed, either in rage, self-pity, or, or passive-aggressive, we are acting as if we are God ourselves. My will be done. My will be done. Brothers and sisters, we make terrible gods. We make terrible gods. And our anger is just dead proof of that. But the Bible exposes, it peels away the roots of sinful pride. And you see that in yourself? That you want to be like God? That's what anger is. It's, it's cutting. It's saying that that's what you want. You want to be like God. I want to be God. I want to be the judge. I want to be the lawgiver. I didn't get what I want. My happiness has been violated. I want to get back. But when we start to ask questions, when the Bible exposes us and opens us up, when we begin to ask questions like this, why am I raising my voice? Why, why, is, why am I raising my voice in such a way that I have a disdain or a disgust toward this person? And when we begin to see what God sees, it's when righteous anger, I think, is produced. When, God, when we start to see what God starts to see, God sees this defensive little boy, the self-centered he sees terrible pride. This little boy trying to play God. That's what God sees. When we start asking our questions, we'll start to see that too. Now, as we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, the gospel doesn't leave us there. That's where Satan leaves you. That's where, that's where, that's where Satan leaves us. I'll get there in just a second. I'm going a little ahead of myself. But we have to kill sin. We have to kill that root. Right? We have, to, we have to kill that root. And we have to kill that root before anger happens. Right? Because it's very difficult to stop anger once you're kind of rolling with it. Right? That's like asking um, Bruce Bannon, the Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, to not be the Hulk when he turns into the Hulk. You can't do it. He has to deal with it beforehand. Maybe a terrible example. But actually, it might be a good one can't do it. It's impossible. We have to kill it. We have to go after the root. We have to go after the root this morning and, and deal with the heart issue. And that's what the gospel does. It does its greatest work is in our heart. So the perspective here I want you to think of is this. When, when you think about anger, 
and we think about anger in the, in the Bible, did you know that Satan and Jesus are angry at you? Or were angry at you? They both express anger. Jesus and Satan express anger in the Bible. I kind of said that wrong in the beginning. But they both express anger in the Bible toward sin, toward us. Satan, right, the one who, who we're not to give an opportunity with, he's, he's driven by a pride, by, a, by a self-will that, that condemns according to his own purposes. So he takes our anger and he subverts it for our own purposes to destroy us. He'll use it. He'll even use righteous anger, by the way. Righteous anger he'll use to deceive our desires for his own purposes, to condemn, destroy people, destroy families, destroy marriages, destroy churches. That's Satan. Jesus expressed anger as well. Jesus expressed anger toward our sin as well. Didn't he? I mean, we saw it in the New We saw it reading in Matthew 21. We saw it in, in Mark chapter 3. But even greater than that, Jesus expressed anger toward our sin, but not in condemnation. But as the one who took that anger and that wrath upon himself. What a blow to our pride that is. Did you hear me? The anger and wrath that Jesus had toward our sin. He took it upon himself on our behalf. So both are pointing out our sin, right? Satan's pointing out your sin. Jesus is also pointing out your sin. But we know it's because he does not condemn us, but that he has bore the wrath and anger for us. So when the Bible, even this, this morning, is Jesus himself pointing out the specks in our eyes, and even though that, that hurts, and he's, and he's rummaging around your eye with his finger, pulling those things out, we know because it is by his grace and because he loves us. And when we compare that to our sinful anger, that's not what we're doing. We're poking someone in the eye to blind them, like a stick, jabbing it in there. The gospel lovingly hurts us. It wounds us. James chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, it, it cuts us. It cuts us like a, like a good surgeon cuts us. When there's something wrong, a good surgeon comes in and cuts us and heals us and corrects what was, what was wrong. It opens us up and it removes those sinful cancerous roots. And it leaves us bare, moldable, and open to be like the tax collector. To be like the tax collector of Luke chapter 18 that says, I have no ground to stand on. Anger says, I deserve to be angry. Tax collector says, I have no ground to stand on. So I want to end this sermon this morning reading from Romans 12, and then we'll respond. Romans 12, starting in verse 17. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, anger, but leave it to the wrath of God. Don't play judge, lawgiver, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat, drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, loving Father, forgiving Father, oh, how we praise you and thank you for sending your Son Jesus Christ, that we may experience not your wrath or your righteous anger that was due to us. You lovingly, graciously, providentially, for your glory and for our joy, you placed your wrath and your anger on him so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. How we were such wretched sinners, yet by your amazing grace we are now forgiven, we are adopted, we've been brought close, we've been made new. I pray for us this morning, a people, a church, that we would be angry towards sin, to hate it, to kill it, even our sinful anger in the light of the gospel. Would you now expose lovingly the roots of our anger and lovingly cut it out with the truth of the gospel? Let us not hide, even this morning, that we would be a people, a church, that would walk worthy of the calling, living in the light, that we may be the visible picture of the gospel, your church, to this city. We pray this name. We pray this in the name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.